you, you know that we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, chapter 12 particularly is a very, um, how should I put it, very taxing for any human being because the whole, the whole setting of this is that Jesus' authority is being challenged, uh, not just by normal people. He's being challenged by the religious elites, right? People who are big deals within the Jewish community. Uh, and basically, they're trying to indict him uh, get him on some criminal charges, and it's like it starts with the Pharisees and the scribes, and it comes to the Sadducees, and all in a span of one day. One day this all happens. So you can imagine any normal human being would be fed up by all this, and yet Jesus, despite, uh, despite being bombarded with all these questions and accusations, he's cool as a cucumber. He responds with such wisdom and uh, it's such wisdom that everyone uh, cannot even uh, trump him. They, they cannot stump him at all. And he's reminding us that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than the wisdom of man. And we see another example of that as, as a scribe comes up to him and asks him a different type of question here. And so let's dig in here. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34 and once you find your places there, if I can ask those who are able to please stand with me for the reading of God's word. These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. And would you join your hearts with mine? A quick word of prayer here. Father God, we ask that our hearts would be open to you to receive your words, to receive them as they are, without the conditions that we would bring, without the nuances, but to truly embrace your teaching, Jesus, and for that to sink in deep into our souls, deep into our life, mind, body, heart, everything we got. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to wish every single one of you happy belated Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. You don't seem excited about that, but I hope... I hope everyone had a good Valentine's Day. And the thing about this one particular day is I feel like there's two types of mentalities towards Valentine's Day. Uh, there's camp number one who, said, who goes 
all out for Valentine's Day. Let's go celebrate. You can't celebrate love enough. Let's rekindle our love. Uh, admire the person that you are with, your significant other. You know, buy all these flowers for them. Go to eat at the, you know, fanciest restaurants and what, whatnot, even though it's overpriced. It's all for the sake of love. That's camp number one. Camp number two is, oh, it's all corporate. Why do this? Well, I don't need the government to tell me to love someone on one single day. You know, like, I don't need Valentine's Day. Question, which camp are you? Which one are you? Camp number one? Let me see it. Or camp number two? All right. That's all of you then. I'm just going to assume it's all of you. Good news for you. There's a market for you anti-Valentiners. According to the Sandia, uh, uh, San Antonio Zoo, they set up fundraisers for Valentine haters that if you donate to them, if you donate to them, you can name a rodent or a roach after your exes and you can feed it to the zoo animals. To which one patron said, this visual image of my ex getting eaten by a, a Komodo dragon is pretty satisfying. Maybe you guys should try next time. Love is cliche, it's cheesy, it's also electrifying, but also daring. It's painful, but it's also healing. No matter how much you look at love and what kind of angles you see it at, you can never ignore it. It's a basic human need, just like food and water. I'm not just talking about romance, but the kind of love where someone looks at you and says, I, I really do accept you for who you are. I love you. It's a basic human need that we all have a craving for. And yet what we're ultimately looking for is to have the love of God, which is the highest, greatest expression of love. Simple, but like everything else in our lives, it's complicated. It's complicated for us. How do we uncomplicate this? especially when it comes to God. That's what we're going to explore in this passage. We're going to look at three things. How one, love is one love. Two, it brings offense. And three, it will make us open to, to love. These three things. One, one, sorry, that's, that's kind of tricky. One, one. Secondly, offense. And last of all, open. Let's look at the first part here. So uh, someone gifted me a Google Home a long, long time ago when it came out, and it's one of those gifts I didn't know I needed. You, you command it, and it does. You ask it, and it answers. And so you can imagine when like a little child, like my kids, get a hold of this little machine, they ask all sorts of questions to it. What's the biggest animal? How far is the sun? What, how does Pokemon Harucha evolve into this next level? all sorts of questions. They go crazy with this machine. It's a powerful technology, especially for curious minds. This is who the scribe is. He's someone who's just curious. He doesn't come at Jesus as his accuser, nor as his ally. He's someone who just wants to know something more about God. And so as he brings this question before God, he sees how Jesus is infinitely wise, right? He's just shutting down all these other religious elites. You know, these are the brightest minds possible. And so the scribe sees his opportunity, and he asks this one particular question in verse 28. Which command is the most important of all? 
What's the most important command? And what his question is essentially getting at is, how do I have a better relationship with God? How do I have a better relationship with him? Because according to Jewish law, there are about 613 commandments. There's no way any typical person keeps all of them. So his question is actually quite practical and pragmatic here. Just tell me what you want. Just tell me what you want. But when you guys reflect on relationships, they're not meant to be practical. You do this, then I'll do that. That type of mentality is just a business partnership, but that's not exactly a relationship. See, when, you, like, when, all of, when most of us, we uh, fall in love, when people fall in love, right, the first thing that happens, you never have to ask, what do you want from me? Because when you're in love, when you're struck by love, you're so attuned to that person, you just pay attention to all their desires and all their wants. You don't have to ask, what do you want? You, you stalk their Facebook and their Instagram just to know what kind of music they like, what kind of foods they like to taste. You're attuned. But the minute you have to ask, tell me what you want, is the instance where the spark has kind of died down. And this is essentially what this scribe is missing here. Jesus feels this question, and in verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus says, you want a better relationship with God? Here's what it is. Devote your entire life, your entire being to God. That does not sound practical at all. Devote your entire being to God. If anything, it sounds a little bit unreasonable here, a little bit mildly psychotic. Because don't get me wrong, I love being around my family and my kids, but even I need a break from them from time to time. And yet here is God saying, Jesus saying, everything about you needs to belong to me. Everything about you needs to belong to me. And what Jesus is quoting, he's quoting from a very particular passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 up here, and what is known as the Shema. And the Shema is this little prayer that Israelites would make uh, on a daily basis. And the main emphasis of this prayer is how God is one, meaning God is the only God. And you have to understand, this belief alone was countercultural to the ancient times because all the surrounding nations believed in multiple gods. You want babies, you go to the god of fertility. You want your crops to go, you go to the god of harvest. You need, you need a victory, you go to the god of war. All the surrounding nations, it was a norm for them to have multiple gods. And so for them to look at Israel with only one God, they probably looked at Israel with disdain. Like Babylon, Assyria, look at Israel. They only got one God. How pathetic. They only got one. We got multiple. And the Shema is getting at the fact, despite what all the other nations have, I want your absolute loyalty. 
I am one God to you. I'm the only God. Think about it this way. Imagine if your significant other decided to like wine and dine you, treat you. And you go to like, they treat you like to the fanciest restaurant. I, I don't know what, like Olive Garden or something. Just, just something like that. Fanciest place. They get like professional musicians to play with, play for you. You get the, the finest of wines and delicious desserts all there. And you think, wow, I feel so special. Thank you for uh, this special moment with me. Thank you for providing this for me. And then your, your significant other turns to you and says, oh, it's no big deal. I do this for all my exes. How would that make you feel? You'd be like, what? This is not special. You do this with other people too. And isn't this what covenant loyalty is getting at? A sense of specialness. See, the thing about being special before someone's eyes, it also requires this hint of jealousy. See, the Bible calls God, or not calls God, but God describes himself when he talks about his love for his own people. He's a jealous God. And we take that in such a negative tone, but it's actually very positive here. He's a jealous God. He has one people for himself. I follow this rabbi, his name is Rabbi Shmuley, and one of the things he advocates for is how, how important jealousy is. It's an important component within marriage that you need just the right amount of trust. Because if you have too much trust, you, you trust your spouse, um, it kind of makes the flame of desire go out for some reason. He says, no, no, you want just enough trust that they won't leave you, but you want enough jealousy to know that it could happen. I thought it was an interesting take. I was like, what? By the way, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling you guys to like make each other jealous on purpose. That's not, that's not the point here. But there's a sweet spot he talks about. This is what creates desire. This idea of being chosen before someone. See, a lot of times we think in the Bible when God says he chooses you, we think that that's just one and done. But the reality is, he's choosing you daily. Every single day, God is choosing you, choosing to be your God, choosing to be with you every single day. Jealousy is about the fact that God doesn't say, oh, you know I love you, right? No, jealous, the jealousy of God says, no, no, I want to be with you. I'm choosing you every single day, regardless of what you do. That is my covenant loyalty towards you. And this is the power of chosenness. Jealous for his own people. Not a crazy ex type of way, but in a passionate type of way that he wants to be with his people, he won't compromise. I want to be with uh, you hits, I want to be with you hits differently than I'm just stuck with you. To choose God as the only one, the only love, it's not easy because love is also offensive at times, which brings us to the second point here, offensive. What's so offensive about it? If God is one, then the second greatest command is this, Jesus says, verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Here's the thing as you think about what Jesus says. 
the scribe never asked for the second greatest command. But notice what he says in verse 31. There is no greater commandment. Singular word right there. No greater commandment than these, plural. There's a sense in which loving God, yes, it's most important, but it goes hand in hand with love for your neighbor. In other words, you cannot love God without loving people. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Again, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament up here in Leviticus 19. If any of you have read Leviticus, well, actually, have any of you guys read the whole book of Leviticus? Yeah, I'm not surprised. It is the most boring book of the Bible out there. The only reason why I say that is because it only talks about laws and sacrifices. You know, all this procedural stuff. And Bible scholar named Eugene Peterson, he points out this, that in Leviticus 19.18 is the first time the word love is ever used. The most boring book has the word love in it. You would think that Genesis would have been a good place to start, right? With the, with the creation, God out of the expression of his love created. That would have been a good place. You would think Exodus would have been a good place as God freed his people. Why did he do it? Because he loved them. No, out of everywhere that God, or that the Bible expresses this word love, it's Leviticus, a book about sacrifices, a book about what it means to be holy. I think there's the wisdom of God in this, that no matter how well we know God with all our rituals, you can't love God without loving people. But here's the thing. People full of contradictions. People are temperamental. People, they flake on you like dandruff. People make you miserable at times. We've known this long enough to know that we'll be cordial with people, but love, that's a little extreme. How can you call us to love? Who exactly is my neighbor? See, in Leviticus 19.18, there's this uh, section before that, uh, the verse that Jesus quotes, and it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Own people. Neighbors are not just people that happen to be around you at the grocery store, at work, or where you live. Neighbor here is about a covenant community or in our context, what we call the church. What's more neighborly than to be among the people that you ch didn't choose for yourself, but that God chose to bring to you? This word love is in the context of being in committed relationships, in a committed community. And the Bible says if you really want to love, love requires commitment. It requires commitment to one another. See, the Bible is very, very realistic about what love looks like within the church. Think about what this verse says in Leviticus 19. He says, don't bear grudges with one another, meaning you are bound to get hurt. That is the whole nature of loving relationships, that you, someone is bound to, to hurt you. That's just the nature of it. This doesn't mean someone should treat you poorly and just walk all over you. That's not what I'm getting at here. The principle is simply this. 
Are you committed to each other's growth in Christ, even when it gets messy? Are you committed to one another even if it gets messy? In my neighborhood, there's a bunch of kids that my um, son Miles plays with, and one of the kids I'm not very fond of because he's always teasing Miles when they play soccer together. And I know for a fact that this kid, he swindled Miles out of his Pokemon cards. So I just know him as the Pokemon swindler. I don't have, I just don't have great affections for him. Then there's this other friend in the neighborhood whom Miles loves, and he'll go every day to ask, oh, can he come out to play? But this kid says he's always busy. He's got excuses. I'm like, you're like in third grade. What can you be busy with, you know? But he doesn't come out. And every time Miles comes home by himself, he's, I see like he's a little bit down. Every bit of me just wants to tell him, forget your friends. I'll be your friend. So I like play soccer with him a lot. But last week, his friend comes over to uh, watch the Super Bowl with us, and they're all giggling and laughing, and then they decide to go outside to play soccer with that Pokemon swindler, and they're all playing together and having fun. And I realize, I realize in friendships, you're not just taking a chance. You have to take multiple chances for it to develop. I, I realize, like, that isn't that what covenantal love is supposed to be about? You're constantly taking chances. You know what the greatest barrier of us taking chances on one another is? You know what the greatest barrier is? It's this one line I, 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 I remember from uh, this show called Kim's Convenience Store. You, you don't have to know this, this show to understand this quote, but it, it's where this uh, immigrant family owns a liquor store and the mom is badgering the daughter about getting married. And so the mom tells the daughter, why can't you just marry cool Christian Korean. Cool Christian Korean. Or for our purposes, fill in the blank here. Cool Christian, whoever looks like you, whoever matches your lifestyle preferences and likes the things that you like. I thought about this phrase for so long. The thing is, cool is not even a description of the fruits of God's spirit. What do we mean by cool? When I think about cool, I think about someone who doesn't need anyone else. That's kind of like what cool is. You're good on your own. You're cool. Cool means you don't have any problems. You just play cool. Now, the thing is, for me, like, I feel like a lot of stuff that we do at church, take this with a grain of salt, it's it's not cool in in that sense. I, I mean this lovingly, guys. I mean this lovingly. I, I preach to little kids. I do youth group with them. Why is that important to me? Because I want them to know, like, like, you're part of this church too. Like, I'm your pastor too. And it's important for them to know, like, the pastor spent some time with me. It's not babysitter ministry, like, oh, don't bother us. You guys go in that other room. No, no, they're part of this church too. What I love about New Life Fremont is, like, there's so many different life stages here. And, like, if all of us tried to play cool, I don't think that would happen. I'm actually aiming to be the most uncool church possible because that's what makes it more welcoming. Like we might look at, what, we might look at someone else and be like, oh, socially, they might be a little bit different than me or they might have different tastes. Hey, to love thy neighbor is to admit 
that before God, all of us, all of us are less than cool. We are sinners. We need the grace of God. And yet the only person who is cool, who is self-sufficient, God himself, looks at us and says, no, I want to be with my people. I don't care how messy they are. That's what love is supposed to be, taking chances. The least cool thing you can ever do in your entire life is to love. Because love is what requires you to be vulnerable. It requires you to be open. Which brings us to the last point here. The scribe, he approves of Jesus' answer here. He says, you're right, teacher. Or better translation is, well said. Then he repeats everything Jesus says. It's actually, when you think about it, it's an odd reaction here that the scribe has. Because think about it, it's like, it's like telling LeBron James, hey, you're really good at basketball. He, he already knows, he doesn't need your affirmation. So when the scribe tells Jesus, you've answered well, it's kind of like those backhanded comments. Well, I didn't know you'd be so wise as the Messiah. That's what's the, what it's kind of like. A little belittling here. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom. Notice what he says here. He doesn't say, you got in. You're in the kingdom of God. Instead, he says, you're not far, which means he's missing something. What is the scribe missing here? What is the scribe missing here? He agrees with Jesus. God cares about love more than sacrifices, than heartless rituals, more than looking religious. God cares about love. So I'm going to go out there. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love his people. I'm going to give all my love. Good thing, but what's he missing? He only saw Jesus as a teacher instead of the love of God to receive and embrace. That's what he's missing. Love all you want. At a certain point, the resentment starts to grow. Love as hard as you want. At a certain point, loneliness starts to settle in. You and I, we can't just love until at a certain point, you have nothing left to give. The thing about love is you can't give unless you first receive. Someone put it this way. She said, um, she said the, uh, the secret to finding love is not actually to look for it, but instead to heal the things that prevent you from seeing and receiving it. Isn't that so good? The secret to finding love is not actually to look for it, but to heal the things that prevent you from seeing and receiving it. I feel like we all have a hard time receiving love. I grew up in a household where um, no one really said this word of love, like I love you, or we're affectionate. My parents weren't raised that way. And, uh, you know, as growing up, one of the things, but one of the emotions that were expressed were anger or disappointment. And so the only way to keep those emotions from happening is you got to perform well at school. You just got to be a good kid. And I became a good kid. I performed uh, not that well. I, I performed okay. I performed okay. But the name of the game was, as long as you did these things, 
They won't be angry with you. They won't be mad at you. It was just relief. And you grew up with this way of thinking, and you excel in everything that you do, whether it's your work or whatever, whatnot. You excel, 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 but then you feel empty. Like it's not enough validation for you. The thing is, you can't find validation, you can't find love with external validation. It just doesn't work that way, no matter how hard you try. Now I visit my uh, parents with my, uh, with my uh, kids, and you know, when I bring my kids over, my, my parents are all just like, oh, Millie, we missed you so much, we love you, and they pick them up, they hug them, they kiss them, oh, Miles, come here, we missed you, we love you. I'm like, I'm here too, guys. I realized something. Why do they call it grandparents? Because it's a grand time for them to undo the mistakes. And that's the thing about mistakes, is that sometimes we make them and we feel like that's the only thing we are. I think about this song from John Legend. He has a song called All of Me. And in the chorus, he says, because all of me loves all of you, all your perfect imperfections, all your perfect imperfections. I'm like, this is why it's a love song. It's not real. Who loves your imperfections? I don't even love my own imperfections. But there's only one person that can truly sing this song and mean every word of it. It's God something only God can affirm. To be in the kingdom of God means that all of God, everything about him, has chosen to love everything about you, all of you, that despite all the ways your heart can be divided, all the ways you are prone to hide, all the ways that make you feel like you're okay without him, he says, I will love all of you. Jesus, with all his soul, with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his strength, gave up his life to bring you into the kingdom of God, which means to bring you into the heart of God, who truly says, I love all your imperfections. And because that's the God that he is, you can love who he is, you can love what each other is, all because there's only one true love. It's a one-way love aimed at you. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we come before you, we hear this word thrown out a lot, love. It's perhaps the most overused out of context, meaningless at times, and yet we need it so dearly, God. Jesus, we thank you that you truly show what real love is, that you're so committed to loving us as your people, that you would literally put nails to your own hands to make sure I'm going to keep my love here. I'm going to make sure that they know. 
I'm going to stay up there as long as it takes. That nothing can separate the love of God in Christ from us. And so, Lord, as we learn to look up, may we also learn to look around what it means to love our neighbors. Because we all got imperfections. We got sin. So, Father, we thank you for the one love that you give and offer freely and you constantly choosing us. May we know what it means to affirm that we have one God and how amazing he really is. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we want to respond uh, with a song.